Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed.
From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast Feed, and this particular episode of the Four Center Podcast Feed is the Mandalorian Report. We're going to be reporting on Chapter Twelve. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that every week, people. I'm not going to do it every week. I'm Ken Napsuck here. Uh, awake, wide awake, coffee. Uh, you you know you watch this uh, at night uh, or one a.m. early, and then you watch it when you wake up, and uh, it's a, it's a fun Mando swing Thursday into Friday. It really is. Yeah, I stayed up late and uh, watched it uh, at midnight uh, with my action figures and some uh, chocolate cherry liqueur little bites. Uh, posted a little photo of like, oh, hey, I'm trying to keep the baby away from the candy, and didn't realize that that was actually a spoiler for the show. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, good job, you. I also want those liqueurs, but uh, yes, good job, you. Available at Trader Joe's. Go buy them for the baby, Mando, at Trader Joe's. I know, it's got liqueur in them. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're going to dive into Chapter 12, The Siege. I'm very excited uh, to discuss this episode with you, Ken. Uh, it's written, of course, uh, by John Favreau, directed by Carl Weathers, in about 35-ish minutes. Uh, what was your overall reaction? Love it? Like it? Struggle with it? Where did you go with this one? I I, I think this this was a B-plus episode for me that, that shot a little higher with uh, some reveals, some good old-fashioned, ooh, and that, that goes <laughs> a long way. And I know this show sometimes has those, and sometimes... Uh, to some people's frustrations, uh, loving frustrations, it doesn't have those as much. And I, this was this was big for everyone. Everyone seems to be excited about that. A lot of action, love action. So not not a not a problem with that. Just sometimes so so much action, you're kind of like, all right, all right. I'm so used to this being, uh, you know, the the tone poem you and I always talk about. But you and I talked about last week about hey, could could so, so the show not change overall, but just could we be entering a action-heavy period. I think we kind of are, and I loved it. So uh, that there you go. B-plus with a bump. Second viewing, got more out of it, and uh, I'm happy with what I saw. B-plus and a half with a bump, yeah. with a morning bump. That's great. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> a bullet number five on the chart. Oh, there. Yeah, no, I really uh, agree with you. Uh, big picture, I ended up really liking this one a ton. This is one that made me uh, very much remember that that the action is a part of the point, right? That is a part of what we're doing on purpose in particular, uh, particularly in episode like this. I think sometimes when we can get really into the narrative and wanting the reveals or uh, wanting the, the deep themes or the character moments or the tone poems, I think sometimes uh, we can forget that the action is a big part of the point. It's not like a distraction. Um, and, and for me, I felt I really felt that in this episode. This episode felt to me like style wise. Uh, I love it when Star Wars takes different genres and kind of reinterprets it into Star Wars. And this really felt like Star Wars, but it also felt a little bit, I think, because of the Carl Weathers influence in my mind. Like this is uh, Star Wars as kind of big 80s action comedy like the the scale and the style the the action and then the kind of um you know the the uh, almost buddy comedy particularly between grief karga and the mithril (laughs) who's apparently in such trouble with grief karga that he won't even speak his name he's just the mithril just like (laughs) the mandalorian learn some names grief karga this is similar to a uh, cop Vanth going weak way here. <laughs> Carl, yeah. Carl, come on. Uh, 
a, a little bit of a disturbing theme there. But yeah, but just vibe wise, it had the like, all right, it, it's some some uh, there's a lot of heart to it. It's kind of like, you know, grizzled older, uh, you know, veterans uh, of uh, who, who've been through a lot, uh, you know, physically and emotionally who are, you know, doing uh, this big action, uh, you know, adventure because it's really the right thing to do and kind of having some uh, fun and laughs along the way. But it is uh, all sort of like full of heart. So that was like my big picture impression of the vibe of it. And I think that's what made me enjoy that, you know, the action because it really was coming from that perspective. Uh, and then, you know, there has been this great back and forth in the first season, but also in this uh, season in particular with the fan conversation about how fast is the overall plot being moved forward. And this one was great that it really did have its own, yep, Mando lands somewhere and needs something. And <laughs> any place he ever lands, somebody's like, okay, but I got a job for you. Like, I mean, this guy could not get a haircut without the stylist going, I got a job for you, right? That's a part of what this is. So this was an individual episode, but it also moved the big picture plot forward and it really escalated the stakes. I think that might be what I was excited about that that maybe other people are excited about, that it escalated the personal stakes for Mando with the reveal that the child is in even more danger than he thought if Moff Gideon is still alive. Uh, and of course, with that great stuff at the end that I'm sure we'll talk plenty about with uh, Carson there, that it really escalated the stakes for the Outer Rim in the, in the galaxy as a whole. Well, first of all, Carson just became my favorite character, okay? Because he's me. He's me. Going, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're paying attention to this. So I love I love that stuff. It actually was really good. And a, and always a, a reminder to just, hey, let the story play out. Maybe some of those questions you're asking uh, get addressed or answered. And and you're so right on two things, Joseph. I want to go back to the, the 80s comedy uh, action vibe is so it's it's so there, especially uh, w- w- with the way you described it and how, how you can focus on it. Uh, or the mithril literally fish out of water, it would seem. Uh, reminds me of what, you know, maybe like uh, Joe Pesci and Lethal Weapon, just not quite supposed to be there, but he's there in the action. Uh, Carl Weathers, uh, you know, not that he, because he's an 80s action kind of mainstay, doesn't mean he always has to do that. Uh, you and I and the many believe he's great at comedy as well, whether it be Arrested Development or I love him and Happy Gilmore, gosh, uh, to go to there. Um, it, it, yeah, it really worked in that level for me. I had a lot of fun with the comedy moments in here, and that that wrote, that uh, allowed me to really just kind of have fun with the action. And, and far be it for me, seven-year-old in the playground, to be like, this is uh, too much action. No, it's not. <laughs> I want pew, pew, pew. But what you just said, the raising, raising the stakes – uh, we, we, in a way, needed it. I don't mean that fist pounding on a table needed needed it, but it was important halfway through this season to really kind of start to see where we're headed and 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 what that means and, and, and the stakes. It's just real simple, and it worked really well. Yeah, yeah, and I like the way it kind of piles up for Mando that he's got this uh, revelation from last week's episode that he is maybe not correct on what the way is. He's maybe not correct on what mandalorians are but you know that's all hiding be- behind the mask because he has to deal with these more immediate problems of uh the ship uh needs to be- get fixed okay i will help with this mission okay the child's really in danger i gotta get moving so it's great to know that that you know additional question is lurking under the mask and it really helps to raise the stakes i think for for wondering what's going on behind the mask mm-hmm. yeah the, and then the other thing i'd say about the action in general for me is that there it, uh, was I think a real clear effort in both the writing and the directing 
to find kind of some new beats and some new framing, even though that we're, we're having the thrill and the fun of like, we're mowing down more stormtroopers. We got biker scouts, uh, they're outland ties, but yeah, once they're in the air, they're tie fighters. So there's a lot of, uh, familiar, uh, troopers and beats. And I feel like there was a really successful effort to find, uh, kind of new action and whimsy beats within some of the familiar. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And I got, you will talk about, it. I just, there's some great, I like, well, I, I will say, Oh, if I'm in the mood for some star Wars action, this is an episode I might go to. Uh, and that says a lot, but yeah, yeah. Finding take, it took the time. We talked about Bryce Dallas Howard, finding the time to focus on uh, the soul of the characters during the action. This one uh, focused not just on comedy and hijinks, but just like you said, the whimsy, the spirit, uh, and, and anyway, anyways, I'm just repeating myself too, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I guess my last overall uh, thing to say is, you know, we've talked about it on the main show. Uh, obviously, uh, there's some things going on with Gina Carano. She has said some things that I deeply uh, uh, think are are hurtful uh, to the trans and non-binary community. Uh, she has said some things about, uh, you know, masks and science that I think are just simply false. And that's that's hard. Uh, but I did try to just set that aside and uh, and watch the character of Cara Dune. So I wanted to acknowledge that I do have those uh, those views myself. And it, it, it is hard to sometimes put those aside. But for myself, for the rest of this episode, uh, I'm just going to focus on the character of Cara Dune and in the choices that were made with the character. I think that's uh, I think that's uh, echoed by a lot and and, and speaks to the, uh, you know, the real world always kind of is going to going to be there and should be there. Um, but, yeah, uh, we're going to uh, do that uh, to honor those who do still do connect to the character, which, again, is part of what a lot of people are struggling with. They, they do love this character and, and there's a lot to love of the character. right? Yeah. And spoiler, I thought there was some great Cara Dune stuff. So I just wanted to have that caveat before we dive into uh, into some of those details as well. Um, any other big picture thoughts? I just love that there's a, now a wristwatch guy in Star Wars um, uh, that uh, has nice. I think it's jeans and a, and a t-shirt. You, are, are you are you you seeing? Have you seen this? Right. <laughs> I I don't think it was a background character. A background guy, and I do. I took a screenshot. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the Star Wars version of the coffee cup. Uh, <laughs> In the firefight, right where they, right before they destroy the two guys who are purging the drives, there is uh, just a guy standing there around the corner. <laughs> Are you serious? You can just see uh, a jeans guy. Jeans guy. He's got a he's got a Casio rich wristwatch on. He's got a Target brand T-shirt or something. It's it's uh, hey, it happens. You know, I know a lot of people uh, decided to use that coffee cup as the reason Dan and Dave should die. But uh, this is <laughs> and it's very much what happens. And it's uh, I, I took a screenshot, as did many people, because I was like, you know, they'll probably fix this and upload a new episode, but I wanted it for my records. Oh, yeah. I almost, I almost said, let's pause right now because they're going to get rid of that in seconds. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Okay, that's great. Well, I cannot wait until, I don't know what, five years from now when that is a fan favorite character and we all cosplay as that character at uh, Star Wars Celebration and there's a, a whole running of Jeans guy. I think uh, five years, you're talking about Celebration 2022. <laughs> you're right you're right it'll come fast i can't wait to cosplay as jeans guy where is my vintage three and three quarter jeans guy action figure need it now that's hilarious oh man 
Hilarious. Uh, uh, it is great. In fact, uh, yeah, uh, you guys are going to hear right now a whoop on, on my computer. I don't care. I'm texting Joseph this right now so he has some concept. Okay, okay. good. Yeah, concept. yeah. No, I need I need to see Gene's guy before I can think clearly about anything else in life. <laughs> the episode cannot go on unless Joseph And I get it. It's oh, fun. Oh, wow. Oh, it, so, okay, this is... Wow. <laughs> You're looking live. As, uh, the, I don't know if is this a, so the, you you texted me a picture of uh, Mithril Mando, Cardoon mm-hmm. and Grief Karga. Yep, yep. And look, uh, look to Karga's uh, uh, will be his right. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's just <laughs> that is for sure. Just a guy. Grip. <laughs> In my in my head, it's Hal Hickel just looking, go, man, this is animation. This episode's great. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a crossover with the uh, the Lego Star Wars holiday special that we just watched, and it's a time traveler. Who knows? Who knows? Love that. Anyways, uh, that's great. Okay, all right. Well, we'll get back to Gene's guy. That'll be the whole second half of the podcast. But for now, let's dive into big ideas, big themes. What ideas did you feel like were at stake in this episode? Trust, connection, and cookies. <laughs> that, so it basically is a holiday special actually okay you, you and i are, are, are gonna also be releasing our holiday special episode i actually the connection thing uh was was strong for me in this episode and i think it was stronger because of the holiday special that we watched with the, the lego holiday special so yeah you, you ain't you ain't lying i, I <laughs> excellent uh yeah no i agree i agree the uh the lesson in the the holiday special was uh was strong and clear which was great and i do feel like there is a lot about connection, but what in uh, particular were you picking up on? What did you feel like was the kind of connective tissue in the episode that that built that picture in your mind? I, I mean, the big thing with the trust, especially up, up top, um, is is not just I mean, grief literally at one point says, trust me, as as Mando has to leave uh, you know, uh, the child uh, baby with the school, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, and, and literally there's something there. Uh, and we always kind of get wonderfully lovingly frustrated with Mando, especially season one where it's like this valuable asset. And he's kind of like, yeah, you stay here and I'll go into the shop. Like we, we <laughs> even season, uh, excuse me, uh, episode, uh, uh, nine, uh, to start the, you know, with, with, he walks into the bar and I remember Grace yelling, like, you can't leave him on the speeder. And oh, he's walking in. Himself. Um, so to have, you know, it comes up a lot, but to have grief cargo, just say, trust me. And, and this is trust that uh, it was earned over the course of, last year but also this starts with a great bit uh which i loved and we can talk about in the direction conversation later on but the bit about the wires and 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 baby doing that but that that's that's trust and yep. and, and it says you know mando says hey, it was worth a shot you know you put there that, that's a, a small example but a big a big uh, big result of, of trust and I, and I like that i like that being present yeah, no, it really shows them w- working together. Like that whole opening is like, yes, he's he's trusting him and he's trying to work with the child. Obviously, just the child is small and can get in there. Uh, there's some practical parts to it. But then to show them, you know, eating together and the way he talks to him, there there is a lot of bonding going on in that opening scene between Mando and the child. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's important to trust, uh, trust in this galaxy, trust when you're a lone wolf. Uh, you know, it's valuable and that leads to those connections, which uh, gets you uh, often the support you need or you could provide the support for others. And, and that's uh, that's something that's at stake, uh, but also just a valuable lesson. 
Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, I think the the big idea that I pulled out, uh, which really uh, resonated with me, I think overlaps with what you're talking about. Uh, but I just kind of thought of it, of, of this idea of who do you protect? Who are you willing to protect? Which certainly uh, goes to uh, uh, what you're talking about of uh, connection and trust. But I just like the way it kind of literally escalated in the episode. There, there's a lot that you're talking about that is building families in communities. But the way that's being uh, demonstrated in this, uh, you know, action show with a bunch of warriors is based on who they choose not only to trust, but who they choose to kind of put their neck on the line for, who they choose to go into action to protect. And the through the episode, you know, we get, uh, you know, the continuing relationship with Din Djarin and the child and, you know, defending him and bonding with him. We know that is his his mission right now is to not only return the child to uh, his people, but to defend the child at all times. But then we, you know, we we re-meet uh, Cara Dune mm. and she's doing her job. She's being a marshal, you know. Um, but then on this sort of small scale, one of the very first things she does is, you know, she's getting people's money back. She's being a marshal. But then there's this very specific thing of in a show that has been this season laced with, uh, you know, who eats who on the food chain, <laughs> she rescues what I believe is a, a lava meerkat uh, that we met in the last episode of the first season but she rescues this creature that immediately seems to have a bond with her so we've got this like kind of small scale she rescues this little uh uh creature then we go to the kind of slightly larger scale and we realize that uh grief and cardoon's kind of motivation in this big action episode is not you know raiding anything not uh, getting money uh not anything like that they want to blow up that imperial base to defend the city to help make navarro uh you know a hub of community and trade so they're really defending the city the planet uh carson then toward the end we learned is is concerned uh about the whole outer rim and the galaxy about building protection from that and he tries to talk uh, you know car dune into caring again on that really macro level so we we've seen kara be kind and caring to that little meerkat. Then we've seen her be kind and caring and her new job in life is to protect this uh, town, this village, this planet. Uh, and then it kind of comes full circle where Carson's talking to her and he is raising the stakes to kind of the highest possible of like, you know, the whole outer rim. In fact, the whole galaxy might have a problem unless we do something about all of these Imperial events that I think are connected. And, we leave her before we get the little coda with the uh, with the Empire and Moff Gideon with her uh, sitting there thinking about whether or not she should step up again and get to that level of uh, helping to protect the entire galaxy all while feeding that little lava meerkat that has bonded to her because she protected it in this small scale at the very beginning. This is excellent stuff, Joseph. I, as always, love it. Love what you you say when you pull these themes out here. And I think it connects this idea of that freedom. I wrote down a note of freedom is still a value for a freedom fighter. Uh, she says often the planet would be would finally be free. She, I think, says uh, uses free or freedom with the what I call the space ferret. Meerkat is more correct. Uh, it's and that's official. But I I, I raised ferrets for a while and uh, that, that <laughs> me too. Um, but I also love meerkats at the LA Zoo. But uh, so not to distract. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And 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 having it just 
the Alderaan connection and what were you fighting for? And we know Cara Dune struggled with placement uh, after the war. Who am I after the war and identity and those kind of things all through season one. But uh, that doesn't mean you, you lose some of the, you know, the, the, the micro that affects uh, hopefully maybe the macro. And I think that was a great moment. Um, uh, and, and very just simple, direct, understated. And, and it worked for me uh, of just this, this is a freedom fighter and, that's still there, but choosing who you protect uh, and, and how that makes you grow and, 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 and maybe it'll change her again or, or lead her to the next chapter. I think that's, uh, that's raising the stakes for her. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought a great, um, we learned in the first season that Cara Dune kind of seems to crave some amount of action and violence and she didn't want to be a peacekeeper, you know, and she didn't want to be basically, the new Republic as we are seeing them through Carson is a cop, uh, a peacekeeper. Uh, and, and I love how they doubled down on that with the depiction of him. With him he's, you know, he's got his notepad out. He's taking the notes. <laughs> Grief doesn't really like him. So he's kind of giving him crap. Uh, I interpreted that disc that he gives her at the end is basically his business card. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this great contrast of like, she's saying he's an, he's the example of what I don't want to be. We've seen moments in this episode where she clearly is enjoying being in action and in the thrill of it. Uh, but then he's reminding her of like, but you could use those skills. The battle is still going on. The stakes are still pretty high. And and I really like that contrast. Um, in her in particular, you brought this line up too. And I had it in my notes of her saying, uh, and the planet would finally be free mm-hmm. is like, that's the last nail in the coffin to convince Mando to join them on this. And I really like that that ties back specifically to why Quill joined the fight last season. Like mm-hmm. when Mando and Kara came to him, it was like, hey, we, we need you to come back with us. We need you to help the child. And uh, it's only when he learns that the threat to the child is still the Imperials. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't uh, remember his exact line. But, you know, until uh, until the, the Imperials are gone, no one will truly be free. Mm hmm. And I really like that without, you know, putting it in the opening credits to or the uh, the previously on to remind us it shows Queel's impact on this little group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The legacy of Queel. I like that. The legacy of Queel. Uh, so what other uh, kind of themes or ideas uh, jumped out to you? Um, I'm, that kind of was uh, the end of my list. We've come to the end of the road. No, but, uh, <laughs> um, um. Support. I, I wrote support, and the connection. I, I mentioned it comes out of uh, out of uh, you know the trust, the connection, and, and support. And I I think I like seeing that uh, the Mandalorian um, is consistently rewarded for some of his better choices or behaviors, or just simply connections. Not that he's done anything for gain and uh, all the time, but you know what I mean. Like he he uh, we saw the New Republic was like, well, we should arrest you, but we're not. You've done some things that you know, we're not going to forget, but we also done some things that are going to let us forgive you. Uh, and I like that because to me at times it ties into that. These are, these are buddies now. They didn't start out that way. And it's, and it's a real simple concept, but he is there to help them. Uh, he is, uh, okay. And then look, it's a fair trade <laughs> ships repaired. I saved your city. Um, and I, I don't know that I, I, I think that is, it's nice to see, we talk about these big themes, uh, in action, but also the results of them, for me, I, I, it's a it's a warm reminder of, of of what your choices can lead you to or get you uh, down the line. 
No, I totally agree. I think that is a, a big Star Wars theme that is present in, in this season in particular. It was there in season one, but I feel like it's being underlined a lot in season two that your actions reverberate out, right? I mean, yep. the uh, previously on, is it reminds us of who the Mithril is, but it also reminds us of that line, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. Well, you know, hey, look, he brought him in warm, and now <laughs> it makes a difference that this Mithril is there. I didn't, yeah, I mean, even though that was there, yeah. That's a yeah. There's a lot of choices made in that opening sequence. Yeah, and I, and I like the I like the I like the Mithril being. I wasn't sure about bringing him back, and it ended up working for me. Side conversation, but coming out of that, oh. you made me think of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think uh, just to sort of uh, uh, zero in on some of the stuff you're saying, I, I really liked the connections. Uh, in particular, that it all it seemed like there was this kind of connection uh, of caregiving, right? Um, kind of goes into who do you protect but uh, i just thought it was interesting that so many of the relationships were kind of about caregiving uh we got mm -hmm. cara being the marshal and she's literally taking care of the town you know we got to see how like beautiful the town is it's got plants now you know um and uh and and uh and she's getting people's money back she even has the line of like i gotta find who this belongs to you know and, and she's the marshal right so and that ties into the marshal the episode we saw called the marshal that is about being a caregiver for the town. Um, I think that opening scene with Amanda uh, and the child has much more of a sense of, of caregiving, you know, getting him to try to help with the ship. And, and, you know, there, it seems like they're working on their communication the, the sitting mm -hmm. there and sipping broth with him. The helmet lift is this, it's practical, but there's this, uh, uh, air of vulnerability to it of like, he wouldn't do that in front of someone other yeah. than the child. Right. He wouldn't even do that. He'll, he's just always just like, I'll eat and drink later at a mysterious time. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot to mention that. I, I think they absolutely another example of, of just the trust building and connection family in truth there. Um, but yeah, it, it was to choose to show that wasn't just a fun little moment or are we going to see Pedro's face or not? It, it to me was just uh, built on the things you're talking about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I thought it was doubled down on even more that grief is explicitly asking how Mando is treating the child. That's another person who is, you know, framing uh, for Mando and for the audience that you're a caregiver, you're a parent. And I, it was cute and funny. And I really liked when uh, grief is like, you know, how, how is he, is he treating you? Well, he said, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got him. I have, I don't have his uh, IMDb page uh, bio up, but I got to imagine Carl Weathers is a grandfather because that was a very grandfather moment. <laughs> it really was. You taking care of him? You taking care? He taking care of you? Uh, and then like the school, the school is not random. The school is not just like, hey, look, the place is better. The school is a place of of caregiving. Um, even the Mithril, up to a point, like yeah, he's a. a He's in service uh, because he has stolen uh, from Grief Karga, but their buddy comedy action movie vibe it is much more like their brothers to me. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, first of all, the big joke I, I was like, how long is Grief Karga expecting to live? Um, <laughs> I'm just living long. Um, yeah, you're going to be working for me 200 years after I'm dead. <laughs> Still get those books. Yeah, you could see. There's a softness to it, uh, the, you know, again, a little bit of uh, forgive, not forget, I guess, going on from from him uh, and caregiving, like you said. But just, uh, there, was a, there was a warmth in like, oh, he's serving me for 350 years, uh, but I'll take some off. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like getting down to bartering 30 years out of uh, out of 350 is a hell of a thing. Like, uh, there's a real de-escalation there. 100 years to do this, 30 years to do this. Um, very funny. 
the the other theme for me is it's maybe not even theme motif i just thought it, it, i felt it emotionally as i was watching and then when i look, went uh, back to go like is that as there as much as i thought i kind of think it is uh this very uh purposeful sense of place uh, and places changing or places going away uh the fact that the Aqualish were hiding out in the Mandalorian covert was just like cool and it makes sense. But it's also emotional to see the shadow of the uh, Mythosaur image uh, having been pulled down in this place of, you know, honor. Maybe Children of the Watch are a cult, but it was a place of honor and now it's not. Um, The Barbie coming to school, this place of, you know, incredible violence uh, becoming, you know, a, a place where young people are nurtured. Uh, the fact that what the droid is listing is the galactic layout and and kind of subliminally uh, reminding people that the actual physical layout of the galaxy is a part of the story because it's a part of the politics. Uh, we get explicit uh, discussion about the outer rim versus uh, the core and, and that's, uh, you know, at stake in you know, whether or not Carson should be going around, whether the New Republic should be poking around in the Outer Rim, but they are. And that that gives it this the sense of place matters. Uh, and then for me, the last thing is just that Alderaan is brought up again in this huge, that's a huge sense of place of that is a place that is gone. That is the a literal home and an idea of home that is gone. So there is a lot of reminder of lost spaces and spaces that are being maybe transformed for the better. A hundred percent. I answered my questions wrong. I put this in another section, but I, I wrote down the city of Navarro changed itself and it builds on the themes of last season. That's bigger Star Wars theme. And I, yeah, you're right. Uh, down to, down to what was being said by the protocol droid. I, I took it as uh, the desire of this city and the people there to be part of something bigger, to connect to something bigger and, and just have a different uh, a, a, a approach. The fact that uh, that's kind of what cargo uh, is going for with the trade hub, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and betterment and change. And, and it's, it's literally the bar where everything, you know, all the, all the skeevy uh, underworld stuff went down. I, you know, it, it's on the surface, but um, going to what you said on some of the depth there. Yeah. The, just to have the city uh, itself be reprogrammed. Quill would be proud there. The legacy of Quill even goes to the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's got this great energy and connection to a uh, chapter nine. You know, we, we didn't see the school, but the school was, uh, you know, invoked in chapter nine. Uh, and the idea of a marshal is repeated in this idea that small communities matter. You know, to go back to what you were drive, pulling out as like the big theme of uh, of community is really, really powerful. It's interesting. The, the school thing, which is. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting about the school thing. Just a little little comment. The uh, value of education, value of uh, uh, just uh, bettering yourself uh, and uh, how even in uh, chapter nine, they were like, they're coming from the school. Oh, we got to do something. I like that. It's, yeah. Uh, it's- and maybe it's just John Favreau grew up uh, watching Little House on the Prairie, and that makes him really attached to small communities with prominent schools. As did I. Uh, you, <laughs> uh, you might be right. <laughs> uh, I think we've already touched on some of them, but did you have any other uh, uh, feelings about what kind of larger Star Wars themes were uh, evoked by this episode? I uh, I have two I want to discuss here. Um, 
the first, well, I, I don't want to rank them, but I'll just say this. Uh, I, the, the shadow of loss and what you do with it, uh, really in, in the Cara Dune moment of, uh, and I've seen some, some memes going around already this morning of, uh, did you lose anybody? Yeah, I lost the whole planet, jerk, of course. But I, beyond that joke, I think it was a great moment. I think it was well played by um, uh, Carson Teva there. Just like, yeah, he, he probably knows the answer, but just driving it home and what you do with it. And, and it, it, it reminds me a little bit, I'll say a little bit like Luke and Octo, uh, your, your mistakes, your failures and things you lost. And, and um, looking uh, even at Cassie and Andor who did some things, lost some things and what do you do with it? And I don't think there's an easy answer. Trauma is, uh, there is no easy path forward. I don't want any, I don't ever want to suggest that there is, but just seeing, this kind of thing in Star Wars is what leads to redemptions or changes. And that's part of the Star Wars story uh, to see Cara Dune maybe taking a, a step forward in a different direction. We'll see, you know, um, but I, I don't know. I just really like that moment because she has uh, there's a real kind of reflective moment, almost even a dark reflection, just with the, the shadow of everything she lost. And I think that's a big Star Wars theme for me or, or you know, some um, a bigger theme reflected in this episode. Right, right. That yeah, that tragedy is huge. Tragedy is is a reality in this uh, this violent, difficult galaxy. And then how do you react to it ultimately? You know, yeah. And I, I take your point of saying like you, you don't want to get into just like, hey, when something real bad happens, dude, just choose hope. Right. It is much more complicated than that, and that's why we tell these uh, great stories with these complex characters. And and I, it, it is great to see these pictures. We're like. Well, they can lead you to, you know, what Cara Dune's journey appears to be of uh, I want to lash out in anger and enjoy the thrill of violence. Uh, but now now I'm finding a way to to put uh, those skills to use in a way that's caring and in, in, in helping other people and then have Carson swing around and go, you know, you could do that on a grander scale and you could you could still respond to that tragedy in, in a way that that spreads, you know, uh, connection and, and helps others yeah yeah i look i think anakin's got some thoughts on on the shadow of loss <laughs> yeah i think it's all there so i like seeing it show up in different forms in different characters different places and I, I, it's a re recurrent theme I, I like yeah yeah i think it's an important one um we already talked a little bit about kind of how actions ripple out i feel like this uh, season's really underlining that with the you know in chapter 10 carson uh, just straight up saying like yeah but we saw on the uh, on the video basically that you're you're a good guy so we'll let you off um but then also like this the, the mithril literally being alive with the queen you can feel uh quill's influence on these characters all that kind of stuff actions uh, rippling out uh for the better like when you make a good choice to help people they they come around and help you that's really awesome um I think in general that Star Wars advocates for that a lot of the, you know, try to be selfless, try to care, try to fight for others. And there's a lot of that going on in this episode. And then we will, of course, talk about it in great depth. Uh, but I think the great Star Wars theme of what is natural and what is unnatural uh, with those uh, creepy resident evil experimentation <laughs> things and vats. That's a Star Wars theme things and vats and i was excited to see things and vats yeah I, I i put this idea and i'm looking at my notes and i was like gosh i didn't uh 
I didn't complete the thought. Bear with me. Uh, you, uh, using the force uh, to get cookies, confirming that the dark side does have cookies. Uh, that, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but I say dark side because I was laughing a little bit because it's like, is, is this the first time the child has really used the force this season so far? Right. I'm, I'm trying to go through my head. Help me if I'm wrong. There's There's nothing- a, there was that slight sound of the rush uh, of air of energy when the force is used when he first approached the eggs. And it seemed like some of the eggs floated closer to him. Correct. Correct. Well, that's almost in line. <laughs> but but uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the idea of, of you know, use the force for knowledge, for defense. He, he's he's for eating. Young for eating. Um, and there's some kind of like, it's this natural thing in you and you might want to, you know, uh, you know, it, it might tend to, to lead you down to a way of survival. Um, not diving into the egg controversy, but that was, uh, you know, a survival thing for him. He's hungry. Uh, that's what the, the next episode, chapter uh, 11, you know, it's one of the first things we, I know you're hungry. Um, so here it's fun. It's cookies. And this was, this was a, a great sequence, by the way. Actually. Oh my God. Yes. And as a fan of cookies, this is a power that I want. Um, so anyways, I, you know, um, I think you hear what I'm saying, where it's just like, it was very interesting to me that this is uh, the, uh, at a big overt use of the force. We saw him use it last season for uh, defense uh, with the Mudhorn, um, for, you know, def- defending and protecting his father with, with, with Cara Dune, choking her, uh, the fire, everything, big stuff, healing, healing big, right? We saw that a lot with him. This year, it's a little different. And just noticing him not not i don't want to accuse him of being selfish i i don't think he even knows it but it's just this you have this very nat, this thing the force and you have these natural instincts to maybe go one way or another with it um so i don't know i, I don't want to turn cookies into a big deep dive conversation with the force but it, i don't know it just i it was there for me other than just a fun sequence i was like it's very interesting to me that this is how he's using it I think that it is cookies deserve a deep dive uh, is my strong opinion. No, I, I think what is powerful to me is it, it you can have this selfish versus a uh, selfless conversation. But I think what the show has been trying to remind us again and again with with Quill saying it explicitly is he's young. He's mostly acting on instinct and then he's being imprinted by what he sees and when right. people teach him what is right and what is wrong, he learns. That's why we have this that lovely scene of uh, the frog family teaching him to show love and care to this other little creature and petting it. And then he's sad when he has to leave it, you know, and it, it's showing that he is imprintable. And I think the show this season is doing an excellent job. I, I love how much he is cooing, how much emotion he is expressing, how much like that wire scene asks us, how much is he beginning to understand words? Does he know red or blue or is he just sort of intuiting which one is which, you know? Uh, so he's truly developing. And what I loved about this scene was he knows that those cookies are in the possession of that other kid because he puts his hand out to say, give me one, right? Right. <laughs> and then the kid doesn't. And every other time he's used the force, it has felt intuitive on some level maybe stopping the flames of the incinerator was really like the oh yeah i I can stop this this felt by far the most choice of like i want those i'm socialized enough to ask by putting my hand out yeah that mfr said no i'm gonna take them (laughs) i'm gonna take i'm gonna take yeah Uh, i'm deciding cookies mine come here now it was almost as if he was uh, saying, like, 
power, unlimited cookie power. <laughs> I also want to shout out the kid. Daniel Negrete uh, is the kid there. And I thought, you know, I sometimes, uh, I even get teased in the Force Center Discord about I, I sometimes uh, complain a little bit about acting taking me out of the story. I got, I'll tell you this. Daniel Negrete pulled me into the story even more. He was so good. It was a really fun comedy beat. I want to, I want to shout him out because uh, him as a school kid with the space macaroons, I uh, loved it. Yeah, absolutely great. We will revisit this when we uh, when we talk comedy. Um, was there anything else, anything that you disliked or questioned in this episode? I uh, let's see, what did I? Um, oh, okay. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's I've turned this category. This is probably not the original intention of this category, Joseph. I've turned it sometimes to just me in story questioning things. I was really you do not kill a space ferret or meerkat. Okay, you don't even threaten. It really started to upset me, and I was so happy he was saved. Um, I. I got, here's, here's this, uh, this is, uh, I guess in story, but also a little bit out story. Uh, we know Favreau voices Rio Durant in solo. He probably sees it and goes, Hey, I like those, uh, Mimbanese characters. So let's toss one in, uh, in the Mandalorian. You gotta be broken in the soul to be from Mimban and then siding with anyone for the empire. <laughs> right. What's going on with this Mimbanese person? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm not. I, I, it's kind of more, like I said, more in story, and I, I, we always kind of tease John. You know, I, I, you know, we don't know him. I've never cooked a grilled cheese sandwich with him. Uh, I, I, uh, I just, I, it stood out to me. It was just like because you could t- obviously you could tell right away well, something's going on. But I'm like, what are you like, self-loathing Mimbanese? Like, what's going <laughs> on? With you? I want to know. You need a hug. Like, you, you know, you're working with the new era here of the Empire. You know what they did. You gotta hear the stories or you were there so anyways um dislike no question in a fun way i love that kind of stuff so there's that i did have one more but i don't want to step on anything you're going to say here uh well i, I just want to respond to your great mimbanese thoughts um i i'm loving seeing that even though this is like the first live action star wars television show a lot of money is being spent on it the effects uh, last season looked great the effects this season are just mind-blowingly great i think just mm-hmm. some like beautiful great shots we'll talk about some of the ones uh in this episode but i love that it still has that star wars tradition of we can only afford to make so many new aliens uh and who do we have from this last you know five or so years uh uh, five plus of disney lucasfilm that's just sitting around that didn't get used much in the the mimbanese were so you know dark uh uh in their lighting and in their shots in solo that we didn't get to really see them up close and appreciate them so I, I love that tradition of still reusing things. So I love just seeing uh, the Bimbanese in, in the full light. But I also, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Uh, and it, it makes me think again, like uh, trying to always remember that the characters from planets aren't necessarily all in lockstep, right? So maybe he's a guy who like, the Empire wasn't that bad. I didn't suffer that much. We should have just went along with it. But you damn freedom fighters made it worse for all of us. I was like, is he one of those? Uh, what were there Mimbanese people like that? I like that car. I like that he's like, look, I lost three brothers in the war that we did. I felt we didn't need to have. Ooh, now it's getting deep. <laughs> look at us just making up deep stuff that is not at all on the screen. Did Kenneth Joseph just create a Mimbanese fan fiction for that? <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, you know, I didn't have anything that, you know, when I looked in my soul of souls, I had things like I question and I have sometimes individual beats of like, oh, that line was really well delivered. That line uh, is a little shaky or I would have, you know, held this shot a second longer. Like, but I, I don't like to bring up like the super, super uh, utterly subjective nitpicky things like that for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't really have anything. I, I thought this episode 
it, it made it clear what its goals were and it accomplished them. And I think it had, yeah. did a really good job being an individual adventure, but it's so tied to everything and everyone that has come before and, and raised the stakes so high that I thought it probably did a much better job. We'll see the conversation of, of making people feel like this was an individual adventure. Yes, but it was a part of the larger storytelling. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, clear cut, uh, uh, well-planned, you know, you could see what the goals are. So yeah, that's kind of where I go. I, I will say, I don't even know disliked or questioned. I'm just observing this. Uh, so I love the the quote-unquote side quests now. Remember, season one, I was one of the ones like, what are we doing, four, five, and six? Okay, I see where we're going. Um, I definitely stand corrected. I, I really enjoy it. It's become almost, I saw people tweeting out prior to this episode release. Like, if you guys think he's not going to have to go on a side quest, have you been watching the show? But so I think I, I'm on board for it because exactly what we're talking about here, exactly what you said. Again, Joseph, raising the stakes that you cannot deny that this episode is tied into the bigger picture of the story. Um, I, the only thing I would say is I wouldn't mind a little mix them up. I don't know if I need another character going. Here's the map of the world we're on and here's the exact plan we're going to do. Um, that is not something that holds me up. It can be a little, like you said, it can be a little just objective from my point. But I was just like, oh, OK, we got another map of the planet. Um, <laughs> I get it. Or don't stop doing that and literally carry that to the end where it becomes so n annoying that it's not annoying and I need it. <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. Okay. Okay. I can, I can go with you down this road. I did laugh and take a screenshot when uh, they said, well, you know, it's your ship's going to need a little bit of time to be repaired. And while that's happening, you could help us. And I took a screenshot of uh, Mando saying help how <laughs> I, I think it is really on purpose right it, it this mm -hmm. is hearkening back to an older style of storytelling and by older i mean like 10 years ago <laughs> if that uh you know almost everything used to be very very episodic and this really does have the like this week the prisoner tries to figure out what's going on on the island this week you know uh, a, a new trouble comes to town and the sheriff has to deal with it like it is very much being on purpose mando needs x to continue his journey but some and somebody says okay i'll trade you x for you doing a mission so on one hand it is what it is but are there moments where it will tip into almost feeling like parody it, it could I, I mean it's not there for me i just and again i i love it um and, and to your point uh our uh, our schmodown and screen junkie pal lon harris had a tweet about this last week about i guess back in the day you know a, a, a lawyer got a case he solved it and we all ended up at the bar and we watched next week uh and he and i started texting i was we were talking about Cheers. It was like, could you imagine if we had like a Cheers podcast going, are they going to get to Vera or is Norm, are we never going to see Norm's wife? Like, uh, it's just, <laughs> take things in differently. And this certainly isn't a sitcom. And I, and I love, you know, the big uh, connective uh, serials and stories I, I'm there for. But yeah, that, that, that might be the only thing in question. It's like, does, does this happen one more time where, all right, let me bring up a map of a planet and, and it starts causing people to eye roll if it isn't already. I don't know. I, I, but maybe just stick with it. Cause I, I do think you're right. I think this is very much like, you know, Favreau's not dumb. He's like putting stuff out there on purpose. He's not like, did I forget? Oh, did I do that in uh, chapter nine? I totally forgot. No, he knows. So no. uh, maybe lean into it maybe or, or change it up. I don't know. I yeah. No, I mean, I think it, it, I think it's from all the connective tissue. It is very clear that, that this is, this is a choice. I think there is that point for me. Like it's, it doesn't 
bother me. I, I, I guess I'll put it in question because I'm just intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by the audience response. I would be fascinated to see a mission that he simply won't take. I mean, he's certainly resisted some missions, but like a no, yeah. for sure, not going to do it for some reason. Or, you know, I would love, I don't know if it happens in season three or season four, that he comes to Navarro and they got nothing for him. Like, you what? You're just going to... You, you're just going to help me, uh, you know, re-up my uh, disintegration bolts and it's going to take a week and you got nothing for me and I I, I got to just sit around. I don't think he's good at sitting around. And those episodes are always kind of risky if, you know, it's kind of the emotional bottle episode of what is a what is a character of action do when they don't have action. But I would be open to finding ways. It, it's so clearly a formula. I would be open to seeing it subverted. Yeah, 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 and, and for me too. Not, not even just like a question, like I said, just observing. But I, I wonder. It's one you you have mentioned before too. Sometimes, not just Star Wars, but any kind of big show or movie, you sometimes can't help because we're in this punditry game where you're like, oh, I don't know. I might like that moment, but I don't know if that's going to go over. And that might be the Twitter conversation when I get out of the theater or, or turn off the TV. This isn't huge for me. I just was like, I wonder how many people are going to be like, oh, another planet and a map. Uh, and we'll see if that starts working against it. But I, I do love it. I kind of, I kind of giggled. Um, and I, I now I, I want them to retrovive. I want the Jawas to suddenly go. Right, here's a map of the Mudhorn Cave. Uh, <laughs> you're here. You walk there. Uh, I don't know. Yep. Here's where you're gonna almost die. <laughs> and here's where the suka is. Uh, excellent. So, yeah, we covered some big themes, some things uh, that we love, some things that we uh, wanted to ponder. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into some really exciting canon stuff, a uh, ton of great comedy action moments, all sorts of stuff like that in just a moment when we have returned. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. <laughs> Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. And we are back to finish our discussion of Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, The Siege. Uh, we, you know, we didn't uh, touch base on the title because I thought it was uh, pretty straightforward. The Siege. Did you have any thoughts on the title? I was going to do a very bad joke. I was going to be like, Joseph, this is about four characters coming together to siege something. But uh, <laughs> it's simple. You could argue that uh, Moff Gideon is uh, sieging on the spirit of the Force, but we'll talk about yeah, no, I think that is a great segue into what we're going to talk about. And that was the the only bit of sort of complexity to the title that I perceived of like, obviously, there's a they are attacking, uh, sieging yeah. uh, the Imperial base up to a point. Uh, but then there is that threat that is uh, Moff Gideon uh, going to siege upon the galaxy, as it were. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about the big picture threats. We're going to go through some canon, some lore and connection to other stories and this is also the the section where i just want to talk about some of the start by talking about some of the big picture uh, moving the overall story forward so let's start with uh carson uh, teva teva and the new republic uh just gonna read his quote here from his great uh conversation with uh cara dune there's something going on out here. They don't believe it on the core worlds, but it's true. These aren't isolated incidents. They need to be stopped before it's too late, but we can't do it without local support. Ken, uh, you must just be in love because you were questioning uh, exactly this last week of like, 
you know, when they were talking about rendezvousing, when Officer Bosch, was, you know, Captain Bosch was talking about rendezvousing with a whole fleet last week. Um, and like, where is uh, where is the New Republic? Where is Mon Mothma? Why aren't they concerned about this? Do they know about this? What's going on? So you got a direct uh, direct response to that. And, you know, I, I just I'm loving uh, Carson, the cop. And I mean that in a in a positive way. I know it's a, a fictional are kind of really playing on our fictionalized versions of uh, of police officers, but I, I really like that vibe of like he's like, hey, there's only one. I'm I'm a beat cop, you know, assigned to you know a a part of the galaxy that nobody's really paying attention to him, but I'm out here writing notes, getting to know the community, and asking for your support. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's uh, it's uh, my uncle who who was gosh, you know, LAPD for 55 years. He you just say, yeah, this is good cop work. Uh, and and this and this often is how some of the bigger cases uh, get get broke. I, this is a, I don't want to go down this thread, but like too much. But like I had a friend who was a detective working on a very 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 big uh, uh, coordinated um, uh, like home break ins in the North Valley, San Fernando Valley. That whole thing got solved because another friend of mine was on patrol and saw something weird and said something's going on out here. And they ended up working together and and, and it was this thing. And, and that I'm, that reminded me of this. This is Carson Teva just out here with a notepad. No one wants to give him information. That's fair. He gets the game, but he's just like, there is something going on here. And I love what you just said, the actual quote about no one believes it. it, it not, not out here. No one believes it back there. And that's almost a bigger problem that I can't get my people almost, my organization, who I'm working with, uh, the people out there uh, in, in the, I made a joke of like the mid-rim elites. Uh, it's a joke, people, it's a joke. <laughs> it's the, the idea of just like, he's frustrated by that even probably more than he is with not getting all the information from Grief Karga. It was everything I wanted. I had a big smile on my face. <laughs> so, yes, I want a Carson Teva action figure now. I need it. Oh my good goodness gracious! Yes, and I I really love the the character so far. I love his vibe. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, uh, seeing some different uh, representation. Uh, you know, in lots of different ways with that character for a, a New Republic uh, pilot officer. So it's all all sorts of great stuff. Uh, and I just love the storytelling. You know, it's not accidental that the droid what the droid happened to be teaching is the way the galaxy is set up and listing that, you know, the center used to be in, in the core in Coruscant. The center is still in the core on Chandrilla. It's a very subtle, fun thing. Um, but it really reminds you of like, you know, place does matter in politics. And, you know, uh, this episode gave me uh, such great whiplash for my own uh, wanting to think the best of the new Republic of this was, you know, a point on the like, great you know maybe it's one of those understandable failings maybe it is truly just you know bias in in hypocrisy that they've got all sorts of or poor judgment or whatever it is that uh, mon mothma and the new republic has got so much on their plate uh so early on that they're like look the the empire is not a problem anymore if there's one or two warlords in the outer rim which aren't technic which we're not technically aren't technically in our new republic um so be it uh, but then you, you got Carson going, they, they might be making a big mistake. And then on the flip side of that, what I really loved in this episode was this episode confirmed some things that I felt in season one, but I think I wanted to really headcanon into existence for myself that I felt like were much more confirmed by this episode. In particular, that uh, there is always in Star Wars, Star Wars the story of the unreliable narrator. 
And in season one, just because Grief Karga told us things were true about the new New Republic, I wanted to ask, were they? Or does Grief Karga have a bias? And I feel like this episode, he made his bias against the New Republic really, really clear. You know, he has that uh, concrete line of, they should leave the Outer Rim alone. If the Empire couldn't settle it, what makes them think they can? And then yeah. this guy that we have been introduced to as a is a good guy in Carson is there trying to ask questions, trying to be helpful. He's not trying to cause problems for anybody. And Grief Karg is still like, nah, I'm not really going to tell you the truth. And he even knows it, right? Because he gives that look to the, to the Mithral and says, mm-hmm. what? What? This is, this is what you do. You don't tell them the truth. They're the yeah. enemy. Even though we know Carson right now is not the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We, yeah, well, this is fun, man. This is the big stuff I wanted to talk about. I wrote it down as the mid-rim versus the outer rim. And just me wondering, just me wondering, let me know what you feel. Because of like, did the Empire really fail to tame it or settle it? Or did they keep it untamed on purpose? That's what you and I have talked about a lot, like in Solo. They they kind of want that. Were, were there some resistance? I'm sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. But you know what I mean? Like uh, chicken egg kind of thing over there. Uh, and, and how to me, that's kind of this false view uh, that is uh, coloring this, this current situation and why grief is choosing, as you said, to be dismissive. It's really interesting to me. Uh, how we are dealing in this, uh, you know, even from the pitch, even from Favre's Instagram uh, post re- years ago. It's, it, this is a story of a, of a lone gunman on the outer rim, you know, um, and what that really means. This is some great, juicy kind of canon stuff, lore stuff. I, I, I'm interested to just kind of roll around it. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think uh, going with the fact that this is a Western from the perspective of the lone gunslinger, but also the perspective that a lot of Western storytelling was about, you know, uh, parts of America are very well formed, uh, but not way out here in that that changes things for people uh, when they're like, well, technically, yeah, this um, this territory that isn't yet a state is is a part of the United States, but things aren't firm yet. Uh, And I think it's got a lot of that vibe. That's really cool. Uh, I, I also think there's just a lot in this episode that if you want to, you know, pull on the strings and, and in this general big picture plot of the New Republic and the Outer Rim and what uh, Moff Gideon is up to, to a ton of Star Wars canon. Like you you go to uh, Solo, which I think you're exactly right to be like, yeah, the Empire uh, supports criminal organizations because sometimes they're they do a better job at mining resources for them or, you know, putting down, you know, uh, problematic you know uh pockets of uh of people that might rise up great so we'll help you out uh and, and we'll do business with you but then that you know goes back to the very beginning of the clone wars animated series where there are resources in the outer rim mm-hmm. there are you know uh is this episode reminds us too that uh hyperspace lanes are really important and i think you know and that the picture that is painted around the edges in the Clone Wars animated series of the very beginning of the war is, you know, the the uh, Outer Rim isn't that important, but whoever controls the Outer Rim has, like, this uh, kind of uh, foothold on, on the galaxy because y- you can kind of cause pressure from the outside, right? Uh, they kind of say that explicitly in the early episodes of the Clone Wars animated series. So a lot of this goes back to, like, uh, all sorts of those big bits of, of Star Wars canon about how the actual physical galaxy works and how the strategy uh, might work around it. So I like the picture to answer your question of uh, the Empire, you know, I think didn't tame the Outer Rim. They clearly came in and took what they wanted or if they wanted a presence on Tatooine, they had one, uh, you know, and maybe that was to wrestle some control away from the huts and all that kind of thing. Uh, 
But, you know, the empire doesn't care about people. They just right. care about resources and control and power. Uh, and that's interesting to say, like, yeah, from Grief Cargo's perspective of, like, we're not in, you know, your governments technically. We just do it what we want out here we're kind of pioneers working together uh, on our own and doing what we want but then the empire kind of comes in when they want to and now what does the new republic want out here and and knowing the new republic probably does just want to help uh but grief doesn't see it that way yeah it might be tough for him too you know again they want to become a trade hub they want to but that doesn't necessarily fully mean connecting to to the to the core rims the mid-rim whatever but um Again, going to that school scene, it, it's so. I mean, it's you're you're so right, Joseph. It's absolutely just that's what the lesson they're learning. Where <laughs> <laughs> you run, uh, all those things, yeah. It's, and that's funny if like if Greek if Grief Karga just is setting up at school, or if he's like going to that protocol droid, and you're like, make sure they know about the Hydean way. Make sure they know the importance of hyperspace lanes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, look and and. Uh, uh, even if you maybe even if you do know the truth, if you if you uh, and again, I say truth of just what the empire was doing out there, even if you have a view of no, they wanted it. They didn't care about us. It's resources. Yeah. Why you talk about trust and who you choose to protect is uh, the Carson Teva, the New Republic. I would agree. Uh, maybe the idea that they they have not earned the trust of Grief Karga or anyone here in Navarro. Uh, maybe they can. Maybe they will. Maybe they should. But they don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And and we'll see uh, if they do, because it seemed like that was being set up by grief, kind of knowing I'm, I'm following the old ways of just, you know, don't don't talk to them. Uh, but maybe maybe he should. Um, yeah, I, sorry. And final note, I, I, this, I maybe this is a prediction. Uh, but uh, to me, Captain Carson uh, Teva, we're choosing to say Teva here until we're told differently, which is the Star Wars way. Uh, Captain Carson Teva. Uh, I want this to be like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where the, uh, the 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 London Metropolitan Police officers are investigating the whole time, and then they show up at the end, <laughs> <And> interrupt, <laughs> interrupt the movie. Uh, Carson Tevez to keep popping up until the New Republic shows up in force. That's my dream. Yeah, I mean, there's that old uh, saying uh, about you know if you, you if you see a gun earlier in a narrative, it needs to go off by such and such time. I think if you see a New Republic business card, <laughs> it needs to go off. And I mean, I think just an evidence of how much everything is very much on purpose and building on itself. I was saying last week when we we're speculating where where the war for Mandalore is going to go, I was saying, who knows? Maybe maybe Mando will build on his relationship with Carson. And, and I even jokingly said, I don't think he has his phone number or whatever. And then this week, what do you know? It's not Mando, but it is. Cara Dune that he I, that's the way I interpret it he's given her his phone number oh yeah totally yeah that was uh that was a business card exchange it was uh, worthy of uh Patrick Bateman and a nice Ivory White no it was uh yeah it was great <laughs> uh all right so for other big uh storytelling uh big plot moving forward two things I want to talk about uh the experiments and then the project that uh that Moff Gideon is working on there at the end. So uh, let's talk about the experiments first. Um, so did you, what were your general reactions to that revelation? Was that uh, kind of what you were expecting? Did you feel like, great, that that's kind of what I thought. I'm great to have the clarity. Or were you surprised? Where were you at with that? I yelled M count. We got Mandalorians. <laughs> and a lot of people did. Uh, Andres Cabrera texted me like one in the morning. Bro, you watching? Bro, are you watching? And I was like, dude, yeah, I'm watching. They're doing it. Midi-chlorians. I said, yeah. Uh, which is interesting because Favreau has 
spared, uh, you know, no expense to tell the world. I didn't like the prequels, but I guess Dave's trying to get me to like them. Um, and, 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 and here we go. So I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I was not alone, very much not alone. I can't remember. I think you probably were in line too, just of just early on open wild speculation of, of, we got a cloner from a Camino cloner patch. We got, uh, they're trying to draw blood or whatever from Yoda. Well, maybe Yoda samples. I think they were saying samples like, yeah, it, 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 we heard the, the conversation to the walls with the, the client and, and Dr. Pershing. So yeah, it's one of those like, cool. Yeah. I, I, this is uh, something we might've all kind of collectively uh, thought of and, and we like expectations subverted, but I also like when like, oh yeah, this makes sense. What it leads to is what I don't know yet. And that's what's uh, fun to, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was so thrilled. The, uh, I highly doubt we'll find a donor with a higher M count though. Uh, <laughs> I cheered and then I literally said uh, out loud uh, to my television screen, say it, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Say midi chlorians, do it. Say midi chlorians, uh, and and I, the you cowards, you know, if people aren't, aren't spending a ton of time on social media, that's you know, it's kind of a meme of you know, do this, you cowards. Uh, I'm not actually calling the creators cowards, just for clarity. Uh, but I I am really excited that it is this like, eh, all right, that's this is where we're going. You know, I, I really do hope to hear the full words midi chlorians. I want to hear Pedro's Pascal's beautiful voice mumble through that helmet, midi chlorians. Yeah, he's got to say, what are midichlorians? He's got to say. <laughs> Ahsoka, I've been wondering, what are midichlorians? Uh, I would absolutely love that. Uh, yeah, so there's the deep satisfaction there. And yeah, I think there's that great, like, uh, uh, pull pull the sheet back and more exposition going. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody was totally shocked by that reveal that it was going in that direction. But I did like getting the the creepy combination of sort of Resident Evil in Star Wars, the uh, just aesthetic uh, connections to uh, the horrible lab of horrors on Exegol. Uh, not necessarily saying this is going uh, to connect to that in any way, but it, it had that vibe. It had that aesthetic. Uh, and I like the revelation that, well, initially what we're doing with this blood is trying to bond it with someone else, and it's not going well because it immediately evokes the idea that this is not a natural uh, you know, there's so much in this episode that's about people choosing to help other people and uh, choosing to care for other people. Uh, and this is a really like we are going to take something. Uh, Baby Yoda is going to take cookies and they're going to take Baby Yoda's blood and they're going to try to fuse it, um, you know, in this sort of unnatural way, which ties to the Sith and ties to Frankenstein, uh, you know, the roots of of uh, mad or weird science kind of stuff. Uh, so I really love that aesthetic. And then in terms of just wild predictions, I still feel like where they're going with Moff Gideon is that he wants test subjects to prove that it can be done. And then I think he wants the power himself. I, I just get that vibe that that's the story we're telling here. Uh, maybe it will ultimately connect up to he's a, a part of you know, he, he's a secret Sith cultist or he's a part of the First Order. But the vibe I'm getting right now from this story is that's all happening in the unknown regions. He's a moth that got left behind who prides himself on his knowledge and his power. And I just, and it seems to me like he's the kind of guy who could actually go like, 
did you know the truth of the empire? Did you know the that, you know, Emperor Palpatine was something called a Sith? And, you know, he held secret powers and I will make those powers mine too through the M count of this asset, you know? Yeah. No, I'm with you too. Look, there's fun questions of who is a volunteer, who is the donor if it's not the child and all those kind of, yeah, and dark troopers and all those kind of things. Uh, what this represents right now to me, and it was something I, I will say, I was, I was texting back and forth with uh, with uh, Andres Cabrera uh, last night. You, you can watch his show, uh, Sabak, uh, so what do they call uh, uh, they're, He and Emma have the new Star Wars show. I forget the name. Um, uh, go watch it on First Cut. Uh, we were talking about just how the, we are excited. I'm sure I got to imagine you're right there with us, Joseph, of, you know, the controversy around the midichlorians is you can't take something mystical and spiritual and and say it comes from these things. But I don't think that's what George was saying, but it, it, it's this conversation of the science of it all, the dark science of it all versus kind of the spirit and intention and how. Uh, what people want to do with it to, to your point. Exactly. I, I, I say this to back up your, your thoughts on Moff Gideon, just kind of going, wait, I, wait, I can harvest this. Let's do it. And, and, and missing the point and, and not truly harvesting the actual power of the force. I, I think it's a bigger fun conversation to have based off of just this little scene. I absolutely agree. And, you know, you and I have talked about our path with the prequels of, you know, I really liked them, but had lots of concerns about them back in the day. And one of the things was, you know, I, I made my jokes about like, you know, the force is mystical. It's it's not a, you know, blood. It You know, it doesn't you, you can't, you know, just get a blood transfusion. <laughs> and now years later, we're telling that story. But what I've really come around to is yeah, it's a little bit more scientific that you can actually measure somebody's connection to the force with a blood sample. I, I get that. That's more scientific. It's not super scientific to have this incredibly organic spiritual idea that we are all connected, whether we know it or not, know it or not, we are all symbiotic with everything around us. And one of the ways that that is represented is in, in the Phantom Menace is not just the Gungan and the Naboo needing to work together. It is symbolized by the fact of there are tiny microscopic sentient beings in our blood whispering to us to let us know the will of this entire connected soul that we have as living organisms. That's not, you know, too, <laughs> too super scientific. That's mystical. And I think when you get down to it, when you get down to that sort of that spirit of it, if you are able to see it that way, and the Jedi's perspective is like, yeah, we'll measure them and we'll count them, but that's what they are to us. They're, they're a reminder that we are all connected uh, and that uh, all life forms, you know, must work together with other life forms to have the best experience of existence. That's what the force wants uh, to then contrast that with somebody like Moff Gideon going, but that blood is power and I will take it and make it mine is a real clash of the spiritual and the scientific. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and I'm breaking it down. It's like it's like. Is Moff Gideon the type that's like, look, I've got the frying pan, I've got the ingredients, I've got the kitchen, that's all I need to cook. And he doesn't realize there's one more thing you need. The spirit and will and talent to use, you know, like I I, I could follow those threads and, and what you just said, this is... Uh, this is a big versus. This is a, a is a, a misreading what the midichlorians are in story. And that could be very meta uh, pretty fast, just commenting on what we uh, first learned in 1999. Yeah, yeah. So I, I still lean towards the Moff Gideon is using test subjects to make it safe so that he can take the power for himself. But maybe he is uh, trying to build uh, some kind of uh, 
Force Army. And speaking of building armies, uh, let's talk about the shot at the end there. Uh, you said the big words, the Dark Trooper Project. Uh, that's what I thought right away. I haven't uh, had a time to super dig into the community, but it sounds like from who you've been talking to, that's what other people are thinking too, is uh, the old Dark Trooper Project uh, first introduced in the Dark Forces video game, which I played a lot at a strange time in my life. So I have strong emotional connections to that. Uh, what were your thoughts on on uh, was if people don't know the Dark Trooper Project, you know, in Legends, uh, and then what's mentioned in current canon in a role playing supplement uh, from Fantasy Flight Games or role playing book in Fantasy Flight Games is basically using some of the same tech uh, for Vader to uh, fuse uh, organic components of uh, soldiers into more high tech droids and kind of meet halfway between uh, droids and soldiers. Uh, so that's what the Dark Trooper Project was back in the day. Is that what you're seeing? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, it has the look, the vibe. It definitely fits in with the idea of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to just say Favre and Filoni, but just the show overall having great fun going into uh, the EU and pulling some things out. And, and, and that makes a lot of people happy, and I'm, I'm there for it. I, I, I don't dislike the Dark Troopers, uh, but any kind of Dark Trooper, Purge Trooper, you know, we've even seen them recently a version of them in Fallen Order. Uh, Star Wars Commander, which was uh, the canon, uh, you know, uh, iPad game that I started playing in 2014, had their versions of uh, Purge Troopers slash Dark Troopers. So I, I, I don't dislike it at all. It's not my favorite thing, so I, I didn't get super excited. But uh, but it, it, to me, it's more about what Moff Gideon's trying to do. And if it and and again, it, it touches on everything, the the Dark Forces thing you're talking about, Joseph. Like it's cloning. Droids, cyborgs, force, uh, intuitive warriors—like it's all of it, and it and it all kind of points to uh, one one man in a cape trying to grab as much power as possible. That includes the dark side. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, obviously, just setting them up is a cool threat uh, for Din Jarn of like, and we will be ready for him because look at all of these uh, dark troopers, if that's even what they're going to be called. Uh, yeah. l look at them, yeah, because they do share some just uh, aesthetic similarities. But I mean, I got really. Yeah, there, there's been a lot of uh, trooper reclamation and a lot of uh, confusion between <laughs> which troops have black armor and why, from death trooper to purge trooper to dark trooper. Uh, you know, there's a lot of it going on, crisscrossing across, across canon, uh, current canon and old canon and all that. But if they go this direction with the dark troopers, which which looks like they definitely had some droid-like arms, mm -hmm. that's a really fascinating thing for, for Din Djarin to face up against because he's got these uh, complicated relationships with droids. <laughs> you know, he's uh, despised them. Then he learned through IG-11 that they can be different, that they can change and evolve. And, you know, we got to see that reflected of he lets the pit droids work on the Razor Crest. Uh, but then he's also wrestling himself, I think, with not actually being a droid, but is there a point where he is going to start to see himself functioning in that same uh, organic versus mechanical uh, paradigm where he's wrestling with, can I take my helmet off? Have I been too rigid about what the way is? Have I been too rigid about what being a Mandalorian is? Do I need to be this faceless, you know, automaton that is that isn't that isn't Din Djarin that is the Mandalorian there's some great great uh thematic battles that could happen if he is faced with a whole army of soldiers who have allowed themselves to become you know uh, totally mechanized killing machines 
Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, to actually to turn it into some big giant, big giant theme there. Um, uh, because I, I keep having this vision that um, eventually it just uh, Pedro will be there the whole time, and the mask will be off. And I'm not talking this season. I'm talking about the end of this. Maybe it's the last episode. I don't know. So uh, I'm intrigued by what you're saying, man, because that, that could that could lead to that if if he's consistently faced. You know, we see a lot of times, especially. Uh, well, Attack of Clones and, and, and Revenge of the Sith and, and through the Clone Wars, uh, just where Anakin is constantly faced with people <laughs> losing themselves to machinery and not seeing it until, until it's too late, maybe. Uh, can Mando see it early and, and see what he was and what he doesn't want to be anymore? That's that's really interesting to me. Yeah, that the only way he can emotionally defeat the whole Dark Trooper project is by taking off the helmet and, and truly facing them as an, as an individual, facing them as Din Djarin, not just mm. the Mandalorian. Uh, I can see... Uh, something something happening that way. Uh, I don't mean to suggest he takes a helmet off and that somehow magically <laughs> the power of his face destroys the dark troopers. But thematically, um, what do you so uh, the uh, other Imperial says to the Mimbanese informant, you will be rewarded in the new era, uh, which is great. Not surprising that uh, Moff Gideon and this uh, Imperial group would think that they're ushering in a new era. But obviously, Moff Gideon wants the child he's got i'm sure a little bit of old vengeance going on there for din Djarin. but big picture what do you think the plan is here what do you think moff gideon is trying to do between the experiments the dark trooper project whatever else is boiling in the outer rim this idea that he's uh this building of a new era right uh the officer used that term that's uh i really uh the just the not not that it's as simple as the quest for ultimate power but but uh, he was an imperial security officer and it's some uh, a bureau chief, right, or something like that. Forget the exact yeah. time. To, to learn all to learn any of the truth. You said it earlier of like how many people we know not a lot. You know who Vader, Tarkin, Masameda. I don't know. Not a lot of people knew the whole true story. And if he discovered it or he had all this information, and instead of being like, well, "What? What did I serve?" Going, "Well, that could have worked out." Let us try it again. I don't know. I, I just I want raise the stakes we keep saying in this episode i do want that and so that to to however he discovered the child to to know that or to think that i can pull out the essence or the blood of the midichlorians the ebb count from this uh specimen and use it to to gain power i don't need it more complicated than that yeah i want some mystery i love it you know is that snoke in the tube i've seen the pictures going around i don't know i don't think so maybe could be i'll be happy either way um, but to have it just that simple, I want him to, I want, I want Moff Gideon to have weight. I don't want him to be serving too many others. Yeah. And I, I don't care if it ends up segueing into, this is a little bit of the backstory of the first order. Maybe Moff Gideon is aware of what he's doing. Maybe he isn't, maybe he gets, you know, maybe his end beat is he's defeated by Mando, but he gets, you know, kidnapped by some Sith cultist. Maybe Ochi of Bastoon says like, Hey, <laughs> come on over here. Who knows? Yeah. That's all interesting. And I'm just, I'm happy to just see where that goes but i just i like that this episode really escalated the complexity with him of the he's doing the experiments right maybe the dark trooper project is connected to them maybe not maybe it's its own thing but then there's even this other level of what is carson what all activity is carson seen obviously we've seen some of it but you know what else is there and that idea of the new era not just like we're going to take back these planets we're going to take back this there's it's it, interesting to me of is this clone wars um tactics of he thinks 
I have enough to take the outer rim. And before the new Republic, who's, you know, trying to scale down in their armaments, even know what's happening, I'll control the big sections of the outer rim. And from there, I can push into the core. And is he really thinking, I can actually take the galaxy back, me, myself? Uh, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's mustache twirling, but that's kind of what I want sometimes, right? <laughs> right? So uh, control the, and, but do it, control trade routes, control resources. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Control it all. And by the time they realize how much he actually has under his power, it's too late. But he is losing stormtroopers awfully fast every single episode. So, yeah, yeah. I, I keep thinking that. I keep thinking that. I, I, I'm curious. This is not even, you know, we saw a couple of officers and we've seen the stormtroopers and it's his base. And Cara Dune says, you know, hey, that's where, you know, that's where the reinforcements came from. Like, all right, that works logically. But I'm just like, five, we're five years after Endor. You're sitting there in that gray uniform. Like, what are you, who are you thinking you're serving? Like, what are you doing? I guess you really believe. I don't know. It's a fun conversation to debate to have off, uh, off uh, outside the story of what are these uh, stormtroopers think's going on? Yeah. Well, that one line of the new era, that helped a lot with me. Like, they're not trying to hold on to the old. They are, you know, doing something new. It did. I'm glad you mentioned that. No, I really liked that phrase. I like that it was, uh, that's something that's probably going around the ships, you know, like this is what we're doing. Yeah, this is what we're doing. Uh, all right. So, uh, unless you have any other thoughts on that big picture stuff, I'd like to just run down some of the other, uh, canon connections to past Star Wars going on here. Yeah, go for it. Uh, obviously we have the Aqualish, uh, in that opening scene with Cara Dune. I really love seeing a down on their luck <laughs> Aqualish with the, with the long, dirty hair. Uh, and I love that uh, that continues to be a mission of the Mandalorian to give every cantina alien their day in the sun uh, or their day underground being uh, slaughtered by Caratoon. Yeah. 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 So I was happy to see them. Uh, obviously, we talked about the Mimbanese, uh, the IG-11. I believe it's IG-11 statue in town. Did you see that? I love that. It was great. It's very heroic pose, too. I like that. Yeah, that was really great. And I love that it was just in the background because I, I was so that's right when Grief Cargo was saying juicy stuff about the New Republic. So uh, I didn't see it my first time and, and really enjoyed it the next time. Uh, and then there's the great uh, protocol droid lesson uh, talks about the Hydean way, which was first introduced in the Clone Wars. It, it figures prominently in the uh, Tarkin book. It's also in a lot of uh, old Republic legend stuff. And then uh, the general galactic history geography lesson talking about the outer rim mid rim expansion regions inner rim the colonies the core and the deep core uh all just kind of great fun stuff to hear about particularly uh, i think for people who are map and strategy fans of star wars yeah. uh you know chandrilla is the capital of the new republic that's just really cool to hear out loud in live action star wars obviously the uh great solo connection to the acadies uh, maelstrom uh, surrounds kessel and its three moons and uh, Ken, I wanted to share this with you. I was, you know, of course, invested in the important part of this scene, the cookie story. Uh, mm -hmm. But as this was happening, I felt like I was back training for uh, Schmodown trivia. I literally shouted out, uh, Chandrilla, the capital of the New Republic is Chandrilla. <laughs> and then we're, we're getting down to that level of studying where you're counting the moons of Kessel, which happens for the Star Wars Schmodown these days. Uh, it was a little uh, a flashback to studying for me. Uh, you feel, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, and then kind of within canon of the this show, learning that the Mithril worked for Grief uh, and then seemed to 
steal from him and ran off and got brought back by Mando, uh, along with the old school Carbonite call out of doesn't want to go back into Carbonite, still can't see out of my left eye. How did that one land for you? Uh, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, yeah, I like the details. It's, it's you know good joke, good detail. Uh, and uh, yeah, I like I like the grief. It it it. I'm gonna go back and rewatch that opening because it, uh, it, it you know it's almost like a lighter tone now. Grief grief is like my employee ran off with some money. Can you go get him back. <laughs> Could you go get him? Yeah, that's great. Uh, the transport that they steal uh, is described uh, by the Mithril as a mint Trexler Marauder. It's similar to the troop transport, but it does appear to be an actual different thing. It was really great in Star Wars to hear somebody describe something as mint, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that they also have collectibles and that maybe there are mint action figures in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, this was, I was going to put, this was my favorite action figure inspired moment. We literally have someone going, mint condition, you can get a lot of for that on eBay. Like, it, exactly what it was, and I thought that was great. I mean, it's too bad they took it out of the box, but besides <laughs> that, it's got all its pieces. Yeah. yeah downgraded now. Uh, then we had a lot of Stormtrooper chatter that was very close to or directly from the original trilogy of, all right, we'll check it out. Uh, we think they may be moving to, all right, men, load your weapons. There they are, blast them. Uh, how did that land with you? Was that too just on the nose of that's how all stormtroopers talk or did you enjoy it? I put it down. Stormtrooper chatter. It's there for me. And I, I got to imagine like, cause you know, the way, the way even like the tie fighter pilots and, and, and they go inside the cockpit and you got kind of the words and the beeps that are there. And there's, you're so familiar with that. Just makes sense from someone like Favreau just having fun. I could just see him going, what should the stormtroopers say? Oh, I know. Uh, they say the same things that I used to repeat on the playground as a kid. And it, it does, <laughs> It does work for me. It's kind of funny. It's like the you know the ongoing joke of uh, uh, the you know the T what the TC fourteens or whatever the yeah the joke. I, I like that kind of stuff. So it it made me smile. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I really, really liked it. Uh, it was really fun because uh, there's a lot not new going on, uh, but it's still great to have those really old school uh, original trilogy vibes. Speaking of which, we got the old joke that we've all made. The old guardrail joke made yeah. crystal clear explicit there's no guardrail <laughs> did you like that uh yeah no i did i yeah no hesitating because i didn't it just it is one of those like well yeah of course but uh it, it uh, on the second viewing the horatio sands really kind of nailed it uh, and i liked it yeah i was really caught up in the the story and in enjoying the story and really appreciated horatio sands uh comedic choices which we will talk about here in a minute uh last thing in my sort of canon rundown is uh, the Arquitans class command cruiser, the uh, light uh, Imperial freighter, which was introduced in Rebels. And now we get to see in live action in a shot that, you know, might be reminiscent of another shot. If you've ever seen uh, a new hope. <laughs> oh, bit, yeah. Yeah. What did you think of that? Did that grab you? Were you moved by seeing uh, not only the a, a ship that we've seen a lot in animation live action, but then also introduced in that same iconic way? Yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm uh, in terms of just seeing these uh, real like animation, you know, introduced and heavy ships. It, it, it's fun. I, I like that. I like seeing so that it feels even more real to me. Not that I need to see, you know, ships from Rebels on a TV show or movie to think that I can accept them or anything. That's not, not what I'm suggesting. But it just it does make it more real for me as a fan, and I love just crawling into these stories and treating them as real living documents and uh, that I, I like that I like, same last week same this week it does work for me and you can just you know that's definitely not just David David the, the designers everyone just kind of going what are the cool Star Wars ships that we can play with and uh, I like that 
Yeah, yeah. And since there's been a lot in New Canon about the New Republic really tracking how many Star Destroyers there are and where are they, it makes sense that he doesn't have a Star Destroyer, but he still has an impressive ship. And I like the shot because it didn't just feel like homage. It's we're we're moving into this part of the story where, you know, Carson has just fired off the uh, set off the warning alarm of like the I'm concerned that there's something big going on out here. So it reinforced that fear of like, this is big, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't just that, you know, call back to the great shot to do it. It was to make the uh, actual presence, the size of the ship frightening. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it, it, it works. It seemed like uh, chapter five, going back to Tatooine and you got a shot for shot kind of remake. Uh, it, it works on one kind of, oh, nostalgia, but it works for resetting the story or, or really giving you, you know, Hey, here's that world, you know, here, where, here's where it is now. Here's what this character is trying to do. Cause you remember that feeling you had back then. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you were saying, I hadn't thought about this, but when you were talking about seeing, not needing to see all of the animated ships in live action, that made me get excited uh, to maybe see a Mandalorian gauntlet fighter, which we see a lot of in the Clone Wars, uh, in live action. That would uh, be extremely exciting to this particular Star Wars nerd. Absolutely. Could be there. All right. Let's talk some action moments. What do you got, Ken? Uh, I put down that's the action. Uh, I, Mando jetpacking out. I I, uh, I I liked it. I don't like playing with jet troopers, rocket troopers on video games because I'm bad. But uh, I think it looks real good now. You, I think um, the the look of the show has just improved in the last two episodes, even uh, drastically than what I thought the season one look was. But you're probably getting better, but also a handle on the technology and the technology improving. And I thought him. Him jetpacking around was working and landing the hero shot and taking that shot off the uh, the back and the Beskar kind of bouncing the blaster away. I liked all that. And I'll just say the Marauder escape, I, I really, it was a great sequence. It had Indiana Jones vibes. It had clear present danger vibes. I, 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 it's one of my favorite uh, kind of tension-filled action sequences in a movie, uh, clear and present danger, the SUV scene getting trapped in the street there. Uh, and so this this was for me just it was one of my favorite Star Wars action sequences in a long time, and, and I did like it. Nice, nice, and, and I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, as a, I know you're a big fan of the speeder bikes and the biker scouts, so I yeah. wanted, I was hoping you enjoyed their their time I, in the sun. I even like the two crashing. It's got a little realistic uh, take of just like, yeah, not everyone's gonna barrel down a hill in a speeder bike. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that that was one of my favorites for sure. I think that was one of those moments that made it feel like this is so cool to see speeder bikes and biker scouts in a chase. And we've seen them before, but here's something different. Yeah, like the one mistake and you're done and you're taking the person with you with you. And I thought that was great. Um, So, yeah, for me, there is a bunch of things I like. I thought Cara Dune's opening scene uh, was great. I really uh, I'm a sucker for it any time that. a hero uses a fallen combatant as a shield. <laughs> so I really liked it when she rolled and used the Aqualus, Aqualish as a shield. I also like that she just shot the last one. of like, could, you could have possibly shot some of these other guys, but you wanted to fight. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Uh, for Mando action, um, yeah, blasting up from the lava pit. And that one stormtrooper he shoots that then falls over the rails was just mm-hmm. a great kind of traditional action shot. And I just really love... Uh, kind of follow up to the rail joke of the mithril making the joke that we've always made of like, why are there no guardrails in Star Wars? And like, well, look, they don't always help you, do they? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the guardrails didn't save this guy, did they? He fell all the way into the lava. And the follow up of seeing him uh, fall and scream past the other troopers uh, it was yeah. great. 
Um, yeah, and I think uh, for me, almost everything else was about that uh, Marauder transport uh, uh, run, which was absolutely great. Uh, the biker scouts running into one another. Um, I really liked the when they slammed on the ground that that Caradun really again seemed to enjoy that. It wasn't just a this is what we need to do to survive. It was a I like the thrill of doing wild, dangerous stuff like this. Mm. Um, the biker scouts, I think, running into each other was something that that made it feel uh, fresh. Uh, I think the the shooting the biker scout off the the roof of the transport and seeing it, the biker scout's entire posture uh, through the targeting computer was great. And and uh, grief cargo <laughs> laughing was one of those definitely like that's the eighties action comedy moment of like hey, 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 got him. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. There was something funny there. Yeah, just the, I was like, because I was kind of concerned. I was like, is is he going to do something? Um, is the biker scout actually going to set this bomb off? And it was just, I love that uh, a, a bad villain will be like, I'm about to do what I need to do. Let me pause. Uh, and, and <laughs> I love it, and, and and it's not a criticism at all. It's just, a, it's a fun thing, and I, I, I giggled. I giggled at his death. Yeah, yeah. And then another one other beat that I thought was like felt pretty fresh. We've had things close to it. We've had a lot of uh, one ship blowing up another and then blasting through it or we've dodging that. But I really liked the I got the tie. Oh, no. All of its uh, shrapnel is flying right at me uh, on the transport. I thought was great. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of just for an episode. I mean, this is action, action, action. Even Carl Weathers was kind of tweeting about it before. Uh, I think you're so excited to show the world and, and what you said with the action uh, comedy 80s vibe, uh, you know, it, it looked great. And I don't mean to keep harping on that, but like I, I was a little, was it chapter five with the, with the little dog fight that Mando was in with the, the, the bounty hunter coming after him. I, I just didn't like the look of it. I didn't like the feel. I, I don't have that at all this season. And, 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 and that makes sense to me. That's how it works. The technology gets better. The handle you have on it gets better. And the, the whole sequence and the, the, the engines, the razor crest kind of like, going out in that one moment as it, 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 it was it was a star wars kid on a playground stream and i loved it absolutely yeah and the razor crest taking out those ties was the triumphant fist pumping <laughs> you know very cool to see him his strategy of uh go high cut the engines that that worked well for mando yeah absolutely. uh do you have favorite moments of comedy there's a lot of great comedy in this episode what yeah. uh what rose to the top for you I'm also, we can talk about the bigger picture. I only got two tiny moments, but there was a ton through it. And I, I think we got more discussion to had of, over the comedy. So there's one, I just, there was a tiny moment uh, when uh, the mithril goes, hey, like kind of just makes it, when, when Din flies up. On the, <laughs> I just thought that worked really well for me. Like, hey, I don't even want to be here. I, I'm driving you guys. I'm doing, and then I, you could have done that. Like, why, why? I could have gone home. Like, I, I like that. Yeah, uh, I wrote that down as the uh, the WTF gesture at Mando, take it off in his jetpack. I'm like, you're bugging me to open this door and you don't, oh, geez. It worked really well for me, too. Um, this is, uh, I would call, unintentional comedy, especially when you get the entire episode behind you. But uh, Grief Cargus said at the beginning, when Razor Crest needs repaired, uh, I'll get my best people on it. And you just turn to the two schlubs sitting over there. Yeah, hey, get on that. I'm like, are those your best people? Were they just there? They didn't look like it. Their outfits told me otherwise, and one was a spy. But uh, not it, holding grief to the fire too much there. Certainly not his people with the best attitude, it didn't seem like, by their body language. I'll get my best people on it. I'm like, well, you're trying to build trust, and that ain't working. So. <laughs> uh, so there was a lot more, but I'd love to hear from you, and we can discuss uh, some of the bigger comedy moments. 
Yeah, so the the WTF gesture uh, at Mando taking off in his jetpack. I mean, almost, honestly, I, there every beat of the Mithral worked for me really well. But then there was someone that I think kind of went for it, like the uh, the steam mist fear response from the Mithral. And I don't know if that's coming from his body or from his humidity vest or whatever, but they just <laughs> sees him and the, pfft, that was like, okay, that is getting to pretty, you know, uh, bizarro jerry lewis level comedy and it really worked for me it, it just it fit the mithril character it fit the kind of star wars comedy that's been developed where in big thematic ways star wars really has respect for everyone but then it also has kind of real world fun of like he's a he's a reptile guy he's a frog guy so of course this would happen to his body you know uh, those jokes are still there uh, and for some reason this one while it was quite uh, over the top really worked for me uh yeah yeah no i don't you would think listening to me that i would get grumpy on something like that and i didn't so maybe i'm growing and changing as a person really. <laughs> uh yeah but i, I think again it, it just it, it spoke to there's something a little bit older school that that matched the uh the little shock that the child gets and then the smoke spewing out of the hole and in mando kind of coughing it all it had a you know, older style comedy, Jerry Lewis, uh, you know, uh, Acme uh, cigar blowing up in right, somebody's right. face oh, vibe oh. of comedy throughout. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, um, you know, debris covered face. You could almost see it there. Just a, a stick of dynamite exploded. Yeah. Yep. In a, in a turn to the camera and him going. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> dink, dink. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, the the rest was just child moments. The the tension with the wires was hilarious. Uh, uh, the the force pulling the cookies that was just that was a dream come true for me. I think that was one of the things of like if he starts to become more aware of force right. use, is he going to use it to just be like, I want to eat that? I think we've uh, mm -hmm. talked about it. If not, I've certainly just thought about it. And you know, to go back to our conversation earlier. I it, it was 10 times funnier to me that it was not just intuitive that he looked at him he wanted him and he put his hand out to say gimme and then made the clear choice to take them uh and then just following through on it of I loved in in the Razorcrest chase that he's got his arms up he's enjoying the ride we've been we've been doing this all season where he is getting accustomed to the violence and, and the thrill of, of running around with an action-packed daddy. <laughs> yeah. And that sometimes that's scary, and other times it's super fun. And then the vomit was, again, like, that might be too much for people, but I loved it. It just it felt honest. Look, uh, you and I, we, we say before, uh, we're, we're not uh, parents. Jennifer Landa is, which is why we uh, value her presence here and, and, and wish she could join us more. But uh, my pal Billy Patterson, friend of Force Center, He's got a relatively, I'd say, just out of the newborn phase, but under one-year-old uh, kid, child there. And uh, he, all season, has just been like, look, I get there's bigger conversations to be had about some of the things, but this is very real to my life right now. My kid can eat the eggs, all right? And I and I would tell him not to, but I, I, I what are you going to do? And so I, I haven't talked to Billy yet about this episode, but I, I think he's going to be very happy. As a dad who was recently in a shower washing, uh, you know, stuff off him and the baby, as he <laughs> <laughs> I think he's love that in the, literally in the middle of this fight, 
Mando is like one hand on the wheel, the other hand cleaning up. It's very, very realistic uh, in terms of parenting in Star Wars, and I loved it. And I love a good throw-up joke, so, you know, it's good. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it, for me, a lot of the comedy stuff always comes to, like, does it feel honest, even if it's big and wacky, does it feel like it's coming from the characters? The mm -hmm. mithral, you know, misting out of fear felt like it's coming from the character. Uh, the vomit felt like it was coming from the character. Mando using the corner of his cape, and then he could have just been, like, tough guy about it when uh, Grief was calling him. He's like, good job, thanks. And, you know, he does get to, the, like, I got, I got to go because, you know, who knows if Moff Gideon could be on my tail. But I like he says, like, I'm dealing with some onboard problems. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. I didn't write that line down. But, like, you know, that's that was some of that line was funny, but it was, like, some of the most clear from uh, Mando, like, no, I got some parenting to do. I can't, uh, I, I can't join you at the bar right now. I can't do a drink. I, I gotta, I gotta wipe up this baby vomit. <laughs> I mean, gosh, absolutely. That's, that's texts I've had with Billy. You want to, you want to come over and podcast? I, 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 I can't, I, I've got to clean up. So <laughs> it just read real, real for me. Like I said, the character of it. Yes. Great. Yeah. And, and, and I gotta, t I gotta say this, you know, comedy uh, generally comes from surprise, right? Laughter comes from surprise. I, I should have seen it coming. Uh, cookies uh, jostling, flying up inside. But when when the little blue barf came, I was like, God, that's funny. I didn't see that. And I loved it. So yeah, call me uh, scatological humor Ken today because that's that's what I liked. No, it's great. I love that this child can devour a whole frog's bones and all. And, you know, maybe he had a rough night that we didn't see. But like mm. too many, too much junk food. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to vomit. It's true. Too many blue macaroons. Uh, Going to move on here to any uh, directorial moments that jumped out at you. So, yeah, um, I, I'll start with going. We talked about the humor. I want to stick with that, even though this is a big action episode. Uh, the idea that uh, you and I talked up top, too, whereas Bryce Dallas Howard focuses on, on maybe the soul. Um, uh, Carl Weathers really made the choice to focus in on not just the humor, but just uh uh, I don't know the the reality, the 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 humanity. Uh, I don't know. It's something he and he played. Look, uh, chapter eight last year of like in the middle of uh, you know the the action, going baby, wave wave your magic hands, and it's a great Taika Waititi moment. But like, it worked for me, and and it goes go back to the opening joke, the wire joke. They really took the time with it, and they really let it play out, and they really let the comedy of tension build, and it worked. And then I thought in an episode that is full of of big action and high stakes and a big reveal. The tone of everything worked. And to your point, I think it's a great point, Joseph, about the eighties comedy vibe. You'd never would watch those movies and feel it wasn't a roller coaster of tone and it all worked. And I think that is on a director to keep that going, keep all the actors on the same tone, all, all the, all the reveals, everything about it. It felt it, everything felt, even though, even with your poof of, of the mithril jacket, even with a wire and baby, don't do that joke. And a barf joke. It all felt in line. And and I really, that was the thing I loved most about what Carl Weathers brought to this episode as a director. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I could shout out a couple uh, specific, you know, moments that, you know, I thought the TIE Fighter chase in particular was good. They kept the the tension of that alive really well. You know, I, I liked uh, actually hearing the TIE Fighter pilot scream and try to block some of the, you know, uh, shrapnel from hitting him for just a moment. It made me feel it. Uh, some great moments like that you know i have no idea you know if it was in the script the storyboards if it was uh the designers if it was mm -hmm. carl weathers who who made the exact choice to do the long shot of the uh commander 
command cruiser that that was great but the big picture thing for me was yeah i felt like this episode made the choice to blend action comedy and heart that kind of just like we know we're on the right path we know we're doing this for a reason we know we're in it together with our buddies and even though we joke and tease we're all in this together and we know what's right and we're headed in the right direction that level of like heart just blended them so well um I love the mithril popping up and down like he was supposed to be undercover. (laughs) He just kept popping up and down like that. That was like a great moment of of action comedy uh, in so many moments like that. But but I think there were also those moments of great heart. And again, they're in the script, but it's the way they're sold of there's Mm -hmm. no question that that Mando's got to go check on the child. Just jet out of here. Go, go. And there's that that vibe and that energy that I do think is totally uh, needs to be communicated by the director between grief Karga and, and Cara Dune of the way they sort of trade that they totally respect one another and they trade sort of their status, right. Of where, you know, she calls him boss and seems to defer to him from time to time. But, you know, when she's driving, she's like, get back there and, and do the cannon. He's like, I'm on it. You know, it, right. that's what really feels like it gives it heart that these are, you know, uh, these are their troopers and friends who've, been through a lot and are doing things for the right reason and they're in it together yeah and also you, you your choice of the word heart that that's i think what i was thinking of i chose the wrong word out of the pundit mad lib book i i said humanity <laughs> heart is is absolutely was there and that that's particularly on the second viewing and i don't i don't want anyone to think of it i was you know you watch this late it's a long i got a massive headache and I was like, all right, great. it was a fun episode, a lot of action, a big reveal. I, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about in the morning. But when I watched it again over a cup of coffee and a night's sleep, that's why I'll keep coming back to this episode if, I, if and when I watch it again. Hard. I, I really think it was a great point, Joseph. It just, it just That was through all the way through. And that can be in the script, yes, but you have to pull that out. And, and the performers have to try to pull that out. And the director has to keep in line, all those kind of things. That's how it works. And I was excited to see that, man. I love Carl Weathers. So uh, just... Big, big applause for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can see like maybe if John Favreau is like, ooh, I know Carl Weathers is interested in, in directing. This episode is really in this vibe that he knows really well. And, and as you said at the top, not that he couldn't do 800 other things, but it just, this whole episode had this vibe of, of I would say that's what I love about Carl Weathers of that combination of action, comedy, and heart just as an mm-hmm. actor. You know, I loved that in the first season. I loved his growth as Grief Karga. Still to this day, one of my favorite lines in all of Mandalorian is uh, Grief Karga saying, they hate you, Mando. <laughs> and it's, just it's, they all hate you. They all wish they were you. It's so great. Uh, he doesn't literally say that, but you know, yep. they all hate you, Mando. He certainly does. Great, great. Uh, we, you already mentioned one. Any moments uh, that you feel inspired by action figures? I mean, yeah, uh, highlight again, but yeah, just literally the fact that in Star Wars we we have toy collecting being addressed is just I. It works. It it's I live it. I live it. You live it, Joseph. A lot of us listening live it. And so to have us, I felt seen. I felt seen. Not even poked fun at. I felt seen. Um, no, I like that. Um, yeah, I, as someone who you know, you mentioned, it, I love the biker scouts. I love the speeder speeder bikes, and used to uh, climb onto a uh, kind of uh, flat angled palm tree in my backyard and use that as a speeder bike. I had bikes too, but to use that in my backyard and and get into chases and and crash and die or jump off uh, or succeed. Sometimes the biker scouts won in my world. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really like that entire sequence, but I'll focus on that. And yeah, I want, uh, I want to, I'll buy a, a Black Series, uh, you know, Navarro speeder bike uh, figure. Absolutely will. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that whole chase was like the uh, the kid you envied on your block who had, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some parents with some money and was able to buy three Tie Fighters and an Imperial Troop Transport <laughs> and speeder bike and multiple biker scouts and speeder bikes. Like, yeah, uh, for me, the thing that just really resonated is. Uh, stormtroopers in high places over lava is literally something I played a million times. Like yeah. lava is, I think for kids always going to be fascinating. It seems like such a fantasy thing uh, that is real. Uh, I lived in Portland when Mount St. Helens uh, went off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lava was always a thing in my imagination. I would put my literal stormtrooper up on the dresser and then they would have uh, fights because down below where I put my pillows is where the lava is and the stormtrooper would fall into the lava. So for me, this was like, I have literally played that with my action figures moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. It keeps working, man. Yep, yep. Great, great, uh, great fun. So is there anything that we have not touched on in this uh, chapter of The Mandalorian that you wanted to? No, I think, we, I mean, we, 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 hey, we, we start analyzing the, the force pull of cookies. I think we've done our job uh, <laughs> a lot there and, 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 and fun. Yeah. Fun. I, I think um, I, I am, this is for me and keep talking to myself. Like I will always have chapter two or chapter 10 and I'm sure there's going to be more of those episodes, uh, uh, emotional bottle episodes. I, I think I heard you say, I, I, I love those, but this is star Wars and pew, pew, pew. And I've, I love that the show can go uh, all different directions. And, 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 and that was a good reminder for me to be like, yeah, let's, let's, let's really just put the, uh, the, the foot on the gas pedal here of action. Yeah. Yeah. And it certainly happened. Uh, I think for me, the only other thing I wanted to touch on is just, you know, I know we're having this great uh, cultural debate, some of which is just, of course, utterly subjective, utterly taste about, you know, which episodes advance the big picture plot, how satisfying or it is to advance the big picture plot. You know, uh, if people are, I think, being a little bit more um, uh, concerned or upset, you know, they'll use the word filler. And I think for me, you know, watching an episode like this, you know, a lot of people were concerned that chapter 10 uh, wasn't moving the story forward. But for me, it is about patience and trust of look at how important it is that we established Carson Teva, that this was not the first time that we were meeting him, that this is not the first time we were learning that New Republic has a presence in the Outer Rim and that this one guy seems to be taking kind of personal responsibility for that. That is building off of what uh, happened in chapter 10. Uh, And, you know, I think the fact that Cara Dune is the marshal certainly would have landed. But to me, it does have more weight in that we just had an entire chapter called the marshal and that there is a picture of the outer rim and a picture of how societies work together and how they kind of need a guardian. They need a marshal that is even more stronger and resonant because it's the second time we visited that concept this season. So for me, I just want to shout out, you know, obviously people uh, have the opinions they have and they have every right to them. But I just wanted to highlight those things that from some of the episodes that can feel like this is just a standalone adventure that they are actually building characters, ideas, themes that I think continue to pay off. Mm, Yeah. Well said, especially on my boy, Carson Teva, my new favorite character. (laughs) Get us those action figures immediately, please. Uh, Ken, do you have any predictions or hopes for next week? Oh boy. I think next week, um, Palpatine shows up to ask how Snoke is doing. 
uh, <laughs> that, uh, Ray Sloan is there to say, I don't like this. Um, no, um, I think, um, I don't think we're quite, what is next week? Chapter f- 13, fifth of season. Yep. We're halfway through the season. Oh, I don't mean to, I think that's Filoni, right? I think it's Filoni. Uh, I don't know. I think it is. I don't want, that's like insider trading or, uh, you know, having uh, someone from the locker room call you up to give you a, a sports bet. Um, if that's the case, I think we might be, uh, we might be get the, get the Ahsoka. So you think that Ahsoka is a, the, the odds, the betting odds on Ahsoka are better with, uh, with Dave Filoni at the helm. Dave is, is uh, you know as well, this is not my knowledge. Dave is, shall we say, protective of who handled <laughs> Soka. So that would make sense. I, I hate to be that's almost like a real world downer. I should just predict something fun. But uh, and that, but by the way, that that's fun. I'm just saying, yeah. I don't know. I have a feeling Thanksgiving weekend we could be talking about a Soka boy. Ooh, yeah. Um, unless there is some tiny shot somewhere on some commercial that I have missed, I think we are out of trailer moments which yeah. means we're going into the Brave Unknown, which is so great. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that. Because even in the first season, we had you know that shot of Mando uh, walking out of the door and shooting the stormtrooper right in the head that was from uh, you know, right. the last episode. Uh, but unless there's something I'm missing, which maybe, but in neither in the main trailer or that you know first look or special look or whatever they called it, I think this is about it uh, for big things that you could predict. So that's really fun to not know. Um, I had... I, I personally did not think that we were going to see Ahsoka this episode. I think that there is a very good possibility that we will see Ahsoka, but maybe just at the end of the episode, next episode. That's um, true. Because I kind of think that there's going to be something where uh, he gets to the planet. I think there's in the. I think there's a possibility that he runs into another problem and has another mission on his way to Corvus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think there's a possibility that he gets to Corvus and there is a complication or it is a journey to find Ahsoka, right? I mean, I think that there's going to, if the if this is the Floney episode and Ahsoka's in it, uh, I also don't think it's just he lands and like, hi, Ahsoka. I think there's going to be massive build up to where is she? What is she doing? What is the moment we see her? You know, if uh, if the shot was given this much love to show us uh, the uh, the command cruiser <laughs> from Rebels, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pageantry uh, to the revelation of Ahsoka. And I think that is going to take uh, a big part of the episode. I want the pageantry. I really do. And so, yes. And uh, I did, con- uh, did just look it up. Yeah. Dave's directing next week. Um so we'll see. I, it, it, who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I, I even if it, if Soak is the next uh, next week, I absolutely with you, Joseph. Give me some pageantry. I want uh, the great municipal band led by Audrey giving me <laughs> some, uh, peace or <laughs> happiness and pageantry on the way to Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah. And then I I don't think for next episode, but this is the other bit of a prediction I'll throw out there. Uh, good old Giancarlo Esposito saying lots of things. You know, ha, has said. Uh, that he he really gets to wield that dark saber and now as all the pieces are being put in place you know is this is this a thing where next week mando goes on a journey to find ahsoka he finds ahsoka at the end of the episode and then you know we're getting into our penultimate episode of the season moff gideon's tracking him down and and does does moff gideon actually fight ahsoka yes right also by the way uh we got tomorrow Morrison uh, roaming around the galaxy too. <laughs> yeah, we answers. We should. What's that? 
Is that there's answers to be had. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lot, lots of answers, lots of fights. I can't wait until everybody comes uh, comes back together for the big party at the end. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Fennec Shand. Remember her? Yeah. Hey, there's a lot. Yeah. Maybe she's hanging out with Ahsoka. That's not an actual prediction, but who knows? Uh, all right. So we've got a lot of hopes, a lot of excitement for next week. Uh, we like to wrap up with a uh, fun personal question. Uh, Ken, if you could steal any food with the Force, what food would you steal? It's what I'm going to go do right now, uh, a frozen burrito. <laughs> but I don't need to steal them. I have about eight in my fridge right now. But yeah, if you took one from me, I'd take it back. Nice, nice. I would love to be able to uh, to move uh, frozen pizzas uh, with the force, uh, partially because I like eating them, but also in their frozen state, I think they're effective weapons. They're very hard discs. They are. You can shoot a tombstone at somebody. You and what do I you want in your tombstone? Yeah. Uh, it's great. You and I could siege at Imperial Base with frozen burritos and pizzas. <laughs> I'll just throw all the frozen food at them and those poor stormtroopers would go down. So many stormtroopers going down. Uh, all right, that is our big look at Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, The Siege. Ken, do you want to let people know where they can find us? Absolutely. You can go to Twitter at Force Center Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube as well. If you want to get a shirt, a mug, a mask, they're at tpublic.com slash user slash force center. You can find the podcast in a lot of spots, including now Amazon Music. Just search and find us on your podcast uh, hosting or app spot of choice. And don't forget, you can support us if you want at patreon.com slash force center or go to audibletrial.com slash force center and get an audiobook on uh, so we'll get some Mando books soon, one day. Yeah, don't forget those are coming as well. But uh, again, go to those spots if you want to support and go to KenNapsock.com or at KenNapsock to follow me and Joseph. Yeah, you can follow me on, in, on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can look up all my other comedy adventures on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for Carson Teva and his new Republic business card, this has been Force Center. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 